Welcome to On The Move, IMUA's podcast series. On The Move features interviews with folks in the Inland Marine Insurance community sharing their insights and experience. We touch on a range of topics including career development, technical issues, and the all-important work-life balancing act. Hi, and welcome to On The Move, an IMUA podcast. I'm Lillian Colson, your host for today, and I'm joined by Sam Robertson, a property facultative underwriting director for the Archery New York City branch. Sam has been in the insurance industry for over 10 years, and with eight of those being spent as a facultative underwriter. The breadth of his facultative experience includes all property and related ocean and inland marine lines. In March 2020, during the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, Sam answered the call to serve as a member of IMUA's Northeast Regional Advisory Committee. As a new member of the committee, Sam, along with his fellow committee members, quickly got to work planning education programs for IMUA's membership. Fast forward to April 2022, and IMUA was fortunate to have Sam present a Warehouse Legal Liabilities Lessons from Losses at our annual conference in Savannah, Georgia. Sam is a graduate of Fairfield University, where he met his wife, Tara. He and his wife live in Fairfield, Connecticut, with their three-year-old daughter, one-year-old son, and their dog, Bear. Sam, I'm thrilled you carved out some time to join me today. Welcome. Thank you, Lillian. Obviously happy to be here and excited to have a little conversation with you. I am too. So I know you graduated from Fairfield University. Did you learn about Inland Marine Insurance there? Um, I guess the short answer would just be no. And looking back on it, there really wasn't much of an insurance focus at all for me in college. I was a finance major. You know, maybe it was brought up as a, an expense and an accounting class, that type of thing. But really, I didn't take kind of a typical, I guess, risk management major path to get into the industry. There, it was really hey, let's get our students to Wall Street into the finance world. And, you know, at a certain point, I realized that wasn't for me. But as I was coming in here, I was thinking about it. The offices we're recording this in are on Wall Street. So in a way, I made it here, which is great. But really, my path into the insurance industry came from not completely dissimilar from a number of other people I've met in the industry family, really. My dad and his brother were both in the industry. Their father was a risk manager. And my parents actually met working in New York City at the home insurance company uh, a few decades ago. So it's in the blood, I guess so to speak. Absolutely. Where have you worked? What does your day-to-day look like? So I joined the industry essentially my senior year of college. I really needed a job and having those family ties to the industry obviously helped me look for opportunities. But I realized just the more I learned about insurance in general that it was something that I could potentially see myself doing. So I got a job out of school as an underwriter writing monoline kidnap and ransom insurance. So that's normally a pretty good conversation starter when I'm talking insurance just because of the uniqueness of that line. And looking back, it really was a great way for me to get into my career. I had underwriting authority right off the bat, and I was working in kind of a small shop doing this niche line of business that took a lot of subjective underwriting skills and also doing a number of other things involved in the whole underwriting and I guess insurance process, such as like working on form wording. We filed a new form while I was there and even marketing materials. So I really got to see all different angles of the industry. But what kind of popped out for me there as I was a young kid was the marketing and the social aspect of this industry. And that's something I really like. The first time I remember going to a Yankee game and not having to worry about the cost of chicken tenders and fries bucket, I was like, okay, this might be something I could do moving forward for sure. 
So at a certain point during my time there, I kind of was looking in the mirror and thinking, all right, this might be a little bit too niche for me in terms of career prospects moving forward. I know a lot of inland people will think inland marine is niche, but kidnapper ransom is extra niche, you know? So I started looking for other opportunities and timing wise, it worked out perfectly with another reinsurer that they had an opening as a, an underwriting trainee for their property facultative unit in New York City. I joined a training program with a number of colleagues that were just graduating college. So I was a few years behind, but it really helped kind of set the stage or foundation for my career in property and eventually in the Marine. So since then, I've been with a couple different facultative property underwriters. And right now I'm back in New York City with Archery and really having a great time. That's great. And who says that insurance is not interesting? I imagine even though that was a very niche oriented business, what you were doing there, you have some really interesting stories you could tell about that. Yeah, absolutely. I think the coolest thing for me, and, and it, it's similar to Inland Marine, is if you have a curious mind, like the stuff you should know underwriting this and the types of losses they have are just stuff that maybe when I'm home, like not really in work mode, are things I would want to be reading about or that I'd be interested in. So yeah, it's the beauty of insurance, I guess, is it's everywhere. So no matter what your interests really are, there's a place for you to find those type of things that you're passionate about. Let's talk a little bit more about reinsurance and Inland Marine. What role does reinsurance play? So I'd say this pertains to essentially all other lines of business that utilize reinsurance, but essentially it allows primary carriers to smooth out their risk volatility over time. So it allows them to kind of cap their losses in any given event or single loss to a specified amount, which kind of helps them project things moving forward from capitalization standpoint or just a risk tolerance standpoint. On the facultative side, what I do is individual risk. So there are certain reasons why those risks come out to me. And a lot of times it's because of catastrophe exposures, the value of what we're covering, the construction of what we're covering, or just internal guidelines that say, hey, we only want to retain a certain amount of this risk. Let's go send it out to a reinsurer to kind of provide that extra bit of capacity. But it really allows in the marine markets and other markets to pursue risks that they might not normally be comfortable with. Can you give us some more examples of the types of risks the facultative market typically sees? Yeah, so I touched on it a little bit then, but we see it from all angles. And that's one of the beauties of being on the reinsurance side is we deal with a number of different carriers on the primary side. So we get to see how different companies approach certain types of risks. There are some that, you know, it's strictly a capacity play. They just need the additional capacity in order to compete in whatever specific line of business that is. Or it's something that is a lot more unique or just hairy, I guess, so to speak, you know, whether that's high values, again, or it's located in Florida with wind exposure, or it's making a specialized type of lift, or they're transporting something unique. It's all across the board. But I'd say generally on the facultative side, bulk of inland marine premium is builder's risks or some form of contract equipment, whether that be single cranes or blanket schedules, that type of stuff. But we really do see it all, which again, makes it very interesting. Thank you for that. The Northeast Regional Advisory Committee that you are a part of just hosted an informative and fun event on building successful underwriter broker relationships. In a similar vein, how do you go about developing successful relationships with underwriters? Yeah, it was a great event. It was great to see a lot of people back down here in New York City in person, of course. And I thought that the panelists did a great job kind of really hitting the key points. For me as a reinsurer, I think the first thing that I need to make happen is to establish that it is a partnership 
And that's something that kind of comes from both ends, whether that's the person writing the primary who's sending me the risk or whether it's me to them. But you know, obviously I have to trust the underwriter and the underwriter has to trust me back. We're putting up capacity and, and helping support them in the market. So having like an open flow of conversation in terms of approaching the risk together and kind of from my end, doing what I can do internally based on my company's outlook to help them quote competitively in their market and sort of help them win the business. I think kind of the standard things too that go along with that are just being communicative, responsive. I think explaining what you need and why you need it, as well as why you're quoting it a certain way makes a lot of sense. Because of course, like I said, different primary carriers are going to have their own way to look at something based on what's happened historically, who's running that unit, et cetera. And likewise for us on the reinsurance side, we have people and we have different outlooks for certain types of risks. So I think being open and honest about why we're doing something that maybe they don't like, or maybe we're priced too high, or they're not getting enough capacity. I think that kind of helps ease tough conversations a little bit, just kind of giving your thought process. And I would hope that in a way too, it can help them a little bit to maybe look at something differently if we have differing opinions. What are some things you really love about working on inland marine business? For me, I think it's just the variability you see on an account-to-account -account basis. And I know that's not necessarily just from a facultative standpoint, but we see all sorts of risks. And yeah, it might be the same crane that you're seeing, but it's doing a different job. It's in a certain part of the country. And you have to take all of that into account when you're looking at something. It's almost like you don't have the same risk ever for the most part with inland. Whereas on the standard property side, it's great. But over time, a warehouse in Colorado is just like a warehouse in Idaho or something like that. You know, obviously here and there things can change, but it's not quite as vast the differences, I would say, between those two. I also like how it seems like, and from my perspective, there is just a lot of subjectivity in the rating. Now we've got obviously guidelines that have over time proven to be working for us, but Inland Marine is definitely a little less cut and dry in terms of, I think, the rating process on our end. So if you feel like something is a good risk, you can kind of go through the processes of defending that risk and why you think it should be something that we write and why it should be rated at this. And I think that that makes the job a lot more fun because it's just a little less cut and dry. Something new and different every day. Yeah, absolutely. And conversely, I'm sure this is going to be a tough one for you, but what are some things you don't like as much about it? So I was thinking about this and it's funny because I think the things I like about it also cause me not to like it so much. Sometimes when I have my underwriting hat on, seeing a risk that's different that we might not have precedent for in our company or that just was a little outside the box. It has you second guessing yourself every once in a while, like, okay, and you could talk to all the right people, do everything by the book, but still there's always that kind of nagging thought in your head, like, okay, am I doing the right thing here? Does this make sense? So from that standpoint, that's probably the only thing that ever bothers me with Inland is, okay, am I taking the right approach on this? And am I doing what's right for the company and for my client carrier, basically? So this may be a little wishful thinking on my part, but going back to what you like about Inland Marine business, I'm guessing another great thing about working on it is doing your work with IMUA, right? Absolutely. The highlight of my day every day. Yeah. Good answer. So how did you get involved in IMUA? So as soon as I started working in New York City, this was in 2015, we were downtown and I was young and pretty new to the industry. And I think it's important, obviously, for young people to go out and about. And that was really kind of impressed on me from my manager and my colleagues is, yeah, you might not be writing the most business right now, but it's super important for you to get out and see and meet as many people as possible, especially younger people. And 
The IMUA was perfect because of the educational events that it held in its office, as well as the networking events, because I was able to kind of mix networking and education at the same time. So I was able to learn about all sorts of inland marine topics, as well as meet different underwriters at different companies. And while you're doing it at that young of an age, you roll your eyes kind of at what people tell you in terms of how those relationships will grow over time. But now I'm eight years doing this in New York. I see people that I started with as a younger guy, now kind of moving into those management thought leader type roles at various carriers. And those relationships are still as strong as ever. And it's just a pretty cool thing to see. And what are some of the things that you're doing with TIMUA now? Yeah, so IMUA, I was honored to be asked to join the Northeast Regional Advisory Board a few years ago. That was great. And I think being a part of that is really important. It's a group of people from all different facets of the industry. So you get different viewpoints. And at our monthly meetings, we really help mold what we think the board should offer in terms of educational opportunities, whether that's in-person, webinars, etc. So when you see it day-to-day, boots on the ground, stuff that you feel like you want to know a little bit more about, you can have those conversations with the group. And the IMUA has such a great network, and there have been so many people that have been willing to give up their time to teach, et cetera, et cetera, that you can hear from an expert in that field eventually, and you can kind of help shape the educational aspect for people right now that were like me eight years ago, just fresh to the industry and fresh to the the sector of business. I'm also on the digital task force, which was just created. IMU has always been great about being accessible online, but I think it's a new day and age. And and even the people that are just coming into the industry are just so different than how I am in terms of how they learn and what they need. And I think the IMUA is doing a great job of staying on top of really trying to be relevant. So that task force is really put together to try and find ways to become more modern in our approach to offering education and networking. So that's been fun to be a part of. Obviously, I was lucky enough to get to speak last year in Savannah, which was amazing. A great growing experience for me and learned a lot about myself, learned a lot about my topic and just met so many great people down there. I remember when you started attending some of IMUA's programs, and it's been really wonderful to see how your participation in the association has evolved gradually over time from attending events to presenting at our annual meeting. You've truly been a rising star at IMUA. What would you say to your colleagues, especially your younger colleagues, about what you see as the value of IMUA and how it helps you stay involved? I appreciate the rising star words. I've always wanted one of those graphics on LinkedIn saying I'm a rising star, so maybe I'll get back and try to try to put one of those together. Again, I, I kind of touched on it, but it was really just so important for me to be involved just to learn, especially on the reinsurance side. A lot of the companies will have internal thought leader teams, and a lot of these people on those teams will have had primary inland marine experience, but a lot of what you get is just property training, standard property training. So for the IMUA to have a lot of free courses for members and to offer those types of opportunities to learn, that's been extremely beneficial for me. And again, the networking is always perfect. And it's just such an important part, especially in a city like New York, where everybody's kind of here as opposed to all over the place. You can really expand your network exponentially just by going to the event. So it's definitely played a big role in a number of facets of my career development, I'd say. And on a personal level, we see sometimes it also gives people an opportunity to take a leadership role in the association that they may not have in their company that they can use to grow and evolve. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think going back to the advisory boards, being comfortable giving your opinion on things and knowing like, okay, I've 
been doing this for a little while. I feel like I kind of know what I'm talking about. I think I might know what is important right now, what's what's a hot topic, that type of thing, and just getting comfortable doing that. You can carry over to your regular job. So we would be remiss if we didn't spend a couple of minutes talking about work-life balance in this post-COVID-19 pandemic environment. Your three-year-old daughter was born shortly after you joined the Northeast Regional Advisory Committee and right at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. And your son was born, if I am not mistaken, right towards the end of the pandemic when the Northeast in particular was starting to open up in earnest. How do you and your wife as two working parents handle all this uncertainty and balance work life during this time? It's obviously been a lot like it has for a lot of people. And it's tough to say because obviously a lot of bad things happened during this time. But for me, it was almost a blessing that the offices shut down when they did because like I said, my daughter was born basically right when New York City was stopping things and things were getting a little weird. So we were a little nervous, obviously, about that. But at the same time, I was home with her every day. You know, I took my time off after her birth just for the paternity part of it. But even after that, it was just so different for me not to have to go into New York because I've always been a commuter, you know, four or five times a week. I can't imagine the number of hours extra I've got to spend with her and my son just because of the changes that have kind of precipitated from COVID. The other part of that is it makes childcare really difficult to find. And my wife didn't have a job and doesn't have a job where working remotely is an option. So I had to shoulder a lot of that load. But luckily, throughout the past three years, I've had a lot of supportive managers and companies that have allowed me to be flexible when I need to be flexible. And also a lot of people just in our personal life that have stepped up for us to really help out. But yeah, we've managed to get through it. And uh, I think now kind of being back in the city, back in New York a couple days a week, childcare is just probably the most stressful aspect of everything. But like I said, Arch in particular has been super supportive of me when I need to take a day or, or work from home unexpectedly to help kind of be the fallback when something goes wrong. So that's been very nice. Well, that's all the questions I have today, Sam. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and expertise with us. Yeah, thank you, Lillian. I mean, it's been a pleasure. And thank you, Allie, the producer on this. The one last thing I want to say is IMUA has been great to me. And I feel like part of doing this is is kind of paying it back to all those that have done stuff before me in terms of teaching or the other podcasts or the webinars. And I'd encourage everyone out there, if you're not involved with IMUA, to get involved because, you know, it really can do a lot of great things for you and your career. This has been fun. And thanks also to you, our podcast listeners, for joining us. Thanks for tuning in to On The Move, a podcast series presented by the Inland Marine Underwriters Association. To access additional podcasts, professional development opportunities, and our technical library, visit us at www.imua.org.